Wilmar Flores is a giant now, but is it a big deal? And can DVR identify a mystery free agent who's still on the market? Also, what's the best way to inform our rankings for draft day? Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not had the three cold brews yet. <laughs> Got ahead of me on uh, my, my caffeine question, so glad, glad to know that there's been uh, some caffeination in your life. I'm just glad three, I am not at the dentist. Fantasy in 15 on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, February 5th. I'm Elker here with Derek Van Riper and DVR. Let's, let's get into the headlines, such as they are not a lot of huge news. But we do have an update here on Mitch Hanniger. He has undergone his sports hernia surgery. There is no timetable as of yet for his return. So with this surgery now being a reality, does this change anything for you, either in terms of Hanniger or the uh, Mariners outfield picture just in general? You know, I think with Hanniger, I was already expecting him to miss some time when the season begins, but the question of who's going to play more as a result of this surgery is one that I need to spend some more time on, and I'm kind of intrigued by a couple of guys who could benefit from his absence. Shed Long is probably the starter at second base, but they could move him to left field and let D. Gordon play more at second base in Mitch Hanniger's absence. Otherwise, they could play Jake Fraley a lot more. Now, both Long and Fraley are lefties, so they wouldn't necessarily work in any sort of platoon arrangement. Uh, But I think you have two young players with tools in position for more playing time as a result of Hanniger's absence. And I think what we're looking for, hopefully at some point soon, Jerry DePoto and company will give us some kind of clarity regarding a timetable for when they expect Hanniger to come back. Yeah, that'll obviously make a big deal, make a big difference when people are actually drafting. So... You know, those of you who like to uh, draft a little bit early, this is the the hazard of that is that we don't uh, have that kind of information. Uh, but the other news that's uh, come down here on Tuesday is that Wilmer Flores has agreed to a multi-year deal with the Giants. That, according to Jeff Passan, the fact that it's a multi-year deal maybe makes it a little bit more worth paying attention to because it's more of a commitment. Maybe it's a signal that he's going to play a more prominent role than if it were just a, a one-year deal. But uh, one thing I did see DVR was a report on Twitter from uh, Alex Pavlovich of uh, NBC Sports Bay Area. I guess not so much a report as maybe speculation that Flores could platoon at first base with Brandon Belt. That certainly makes sense as a platoon, but there's also the possibility he could play some second base and that could encroach upon the playing time of Mauricio Dubon. So, first of all, what do you just see as the impacts here and um, in terms of Flores himself, does this move you know, make him, does it make him viable in something other than a daily lineup league? Because he is a lefty masher. He's a really tough player to roster outside of NL only formats and leagues with daily moves. And I think even in a league with daily moves, Wilmer Flores might be on and off your roster if you don't have really deep benches. I think with Flores, you could see him occasionally play some second base. But the thing about Dubon is that he can actually slide over and play third if they want to give Evan Longoria a day off. Or more likely, he can play shortstop. So if the Giants are facing a left-handed starter, you know Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford can sit. And there's room for both Dubon and Flores between first base, shortstop, and of course, second base for one of those guys as well. So I think this is a Giants team that's going to play young talent as much as it possibly can. We're going to see that a lot more in the outfield where they don't have players signed to long-term deals. 
Uh, but I do think Mauricio Dubon ends up being pretty stable playing time-wise because of his defensive versatility, even with Wilmer Flores on the roster. Yeah, well, and the other angle to this too, aside from just how dividing, how playing time gets divided up, is the park factor issue. And Flores had a pretty nice season. I mean, there were some injuries there, and also again him having an uncertain role, doing a lot of platooning. But in the time that he did play, he hit over 300 with a little bit of power. And so now he's going from uh, sort of a neutral park, but certainly a, a better park than Oracle Park. So that's something that you think could, could could kill whatever little value that Flores might have with the move. But as I was pondering that, and, and basically DVR looking for any sort of daylight, you know, anything that might give Flores uh, a little bit of uh, value with this move, I noticed something else. First of all, I looked at, at Flores' profile. He's a righty. He's very pole-heavy. Uh, he's pretty fly-ball prone. And I thought, well, is there anybody on the Giants roster who looks like that, who did okay at Oracle Park with that similar profile. Here's what I found. I'm going to leave the player a mystery. Although, well, I'll, I'll add one detail that will make him less mysterious, which is this is somebody who's now a free agent, but he spent almost all of 2019 with the Giants. I probably gave it away right there. But this is a player who normally isn't that pull heavy, but got more pull conscious in 2019. This player had a 178 ISO at Oracle Park, and it was actually higher than his ISO was on the road. This player is also a lefty masher. He's had a 220 ISO against left-handed pitchers since 2017. And this player's career slash mark or slash line, excuse me, is uh, 261, 296, 405, which is only really a little worse than Flores' career mark, 268, 310, 432. So that's there's quite a few clues there. Any idea who the mystery player is? Is that Kevin Pillar? It is Kevin Pillar. So that's right. And uh, so a, a fairly similar profile to Flores, at least in 2019. And the lefty splits thing goes back, you know, even further than that. But he became a little bit more Flores-like in 2019, and actually hit for more power at Oracle Park than he did on the road. So it's something I'll need to look into. But Oracle Park overall was the worst home run park for right-handed hitters in, uh, well, actually over the last three years combined. But it may play a little better for pole hitters. So with that example of Pilar in front of us, I think it raises a couple of questions. And one is, does that make Flores maybe a little bit more attractive, at least for those daily league purposes? And what about Pilar, who's still on the free agent market, upped his power game in 2019, and could he have a little bit more appeal than maybe we have thought before once he lands somewhere. You know, I think with Kevin Pillar, because he can steal a few bases as well, he makes sense in really deep mixed leagues as a draft and hold sort of stash. He's going to sign somewhere. He's a good enough defender where even a team that's going through a rebuild and trying to save a lot of money, such as the Pirates, they could sign him and give him a lot of playing time. So there's probably something there uh, on the Kevin Pillar front. There's one more thing on Wilmer Flores that's kind of interesting that I think we should fold into our conversation is that in the last three seasons, if you look at his splits against same-handed pitching, so Wilmer Flores against righties, he's at least been league average in each of those three seasons in terms of WRC+, and he popped up to a 121 mark in 2018 with the Mets. So he's a guy that doesn't strike out a lot, and he's holding his own against same-handed pitching. So in the event that something happens with Brandon Belt, we know he's got an extensive history of concussions, you know, maybe we do see Wilmer Flores play more against righties than we're accustomed to. 
Yeah, and as you also mentioned earlier, that there's enough flexibility in terms of players being uh, versatile enough to play different positions that he could fill a super utility role or you know, Dubon could play uh, different positions and, and that could open things up for Flora. So while this doesn't seem, I think on the surface, like a big deal, I think he could be a sneaky play in, in maybe 15 teamers and certainly anything deeper than that. Yeah, I think at some point he could become relevant in those 15 team formats, especially if we had a, a situation where Brandon Bell ends up on the IL. All right. Well, you know, we've thrown a lot of different factors into this analysis of uh, Wilmer Flores and to some degree also of Kevin Pillar. So I want to take that topic and open it up a bit more. I put a poll out on Twitter uh, earlier today and asked the Twitterverse, which one of the following typically influences you the most in prioritizing players to pick on draft day? So I thought this was just a good topic as people, most people haven't really begun their drafting in earnest yet. And thinking about how do people come to their their ranked lists? Do they just go off the the default one that's in the draft room? Uh, you know, do they go by published sources? Do they you know is, what what's the mix uh, that that people come up with here? So I only had people pick the one that was the uh, the most influential for them. I was very surprised by these results, DVR. So I'm I'm very interested to get just your reaction to it and also get your your own personal approach. The leader, it was very equally split amongst all four, but the leader was draft room rankings. I actually thought that might finish last, but 27.5% of the respondents said that they are most influenced by the rankings in the draft room. So I think that's got some implications right there. And then right behind that, 26.3% published projections at 25%. This really surprised me. I thought this would not be anywhere close to the lead. 25% published tiers, and we are going to have tiers on the athletic draft kit uh, within a matter of a few weeks. So this is good to know. And then the remainder, 21.3% said other published rankings. So draft, not the draft room rankings, but rankings published you know, on a site like the athletic uh, where you and I both have rankings as well as uh, Eno does. So uh, yeah, first of all, surprise bending of that. I'm just surprised at how even the distribution of the responses is with every answer being above 20%. Uh, is the 27.5% of the population using the draft room rankings an equal number to the number of people who don't do any homework? They just show up for their draft and they work with what's in front of them? Like, what, what's going on with that group? I don't know. That, that needs another Twitter poll, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm curious. I'm very curious because, like I said, it surprised me. I figured it would, I figured that might be third and tears would be fourth. I was really surprised. Because to me, tears is still something I thought that was not quite fringe, but I just don't hear as much about tears as I do rankings. And it was right there up with, with rankings. Yeah, tears, I feel like, have sort of this love-hate sort of split on them, where if you use them, you swear by them and you think they're great. And if you don't use them, you think they're completely worthless. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see that come in in that 25% mark as well. But I mean, my approach is to take my own rankings, which are backed by projections and carefully vetted and tested over and over again and, and work off of those. But even going into a room with those rankings, either loaded into software or printed out next to me for an auction, however I go about it, 
Um, I do wonder how much other factors are influencing me. So in this case, those other factors would be the actual draft room rankings. And if you sort by default rankings on whatever draft room you're playing in, you're going to get the kind of the rankings of the editors in a composite sort of form in some cases. In other instances, like the NFBC, I think the default sort there is now average draft position. So you're sort of mm-hmm. getting the wisdom of the crowd. And it's kind of funny how that can vary so much from site to site. But one thing I would caution against uh, for drafts and auctions is being totally unfamiliar with where players are located in the pool. Because when you have 30 seconds to nominate a player in an auction or when you have a minute or 90 seconds to make a pick in a snake draft and there are players buried in the draft room, which happens no matter which site you're playing on, you can end up making a mistake because you simply can't find a player quickly enough when it's your turn to nominate or select player. Yeah, well, it, you know, I'm sure you've been through this, and I've been through this too, where you don't plan ahead and you're looking for a player and you're scrolling, 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 and the clock is ticking. So yeah, having your own independent list uh, of players ranked, you, whether it's heavily based on other, another person's rankings or their projections or tiers, that's important. And the uh, search the search field is your friend in the draft room, right? Because if you do a quick scan of the top of the draft room list and that player that's maybe at the top or near the top of, of a tier that you're looking at on your own list isn't there, uh, you know, you can type that name quickly, I think, pretty much into any draft room that's out there. And, you know, then it can pop up and you can, you know, put, put them in your queue or, or draft them, you know, straight away. So uh, that's, it's an underrated function of the draft room. Well, hopefully you can spell a Rosarena quickly under pressure. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what they get that copy and paste going with uh, him or, or you know Fulton Nevich or, or whoever. Um, yeah, so uh, little little tricks that uh, could save you time and maybe save you from a, a panic pick. And I've made more than my share of uh, of those as well. Uh, yeah, I you know I typically rely on somebody's projections I really trust. I used to do my own projections. But I don't really have time to do that now. So um, I will say Ariel Cohen's ATC projections over the last couple of years, I've really come to value those and, and trust those. And I modify them as I see fit. But it, it saves me a lot of time to have a, a set of projections that I, I trust uh, and then can, can you know, make marginal changes based on that. Yeah, I mean, the main takeaway for me is that you want to have prep work done in advance. You want to be as comfortable as you possibly can be with whatever it is you'd like to bring, whether it's your tiers, your projections, your printed cheat sheets, your software. It doesn't matter what those tools are. You just don't want to walk in last minute and rely solely on whatever is on the screen in front of you in the draft <laughs> right. room itself. Right. Absolutely. Uh, well, let's get on to our featured read of the day. Uh, this one is not from The Athletic. It's just something I came across this morning, and I thought it was really cool. Not necessarily that fantasy relevant, but if you play sim games, it's very relevant. It's a piece from Andrew Simon on MLB.com uh, entitled, Once Liabilities, These Fielders Improved the Most Using the New StatCast Metric Outs Above Average and Looking at the Year Versus Year uh, Improvement in that metric. Really, really cool stuff. So especially if you play sim games or if you're just, you know, baseball fan, you might be. Uh, <laughs> it's something I think you'll find very interesting. So on that note, we're going to wrap things up here for today's episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off of a subscription at theathletic.com slash baseball in 15. Everything that we do is included with a subscription. 
And if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took the time to do that. So thanks for listening. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we will be back with you on Thursday. Thursday.